0: So spoiler alert. Why would you do that? I was trying to get you mid. I was trying to I was trying to make you scream for the listener. Sorry. <laughs> Welcome into the All of the Above podcast. This is Bryce Harrison making my maiden voyage hosting the podcast, and I guess really this is my first time on the All of the Above podcast period, Made uh, the occasional appearance on our predecessor, predecessor podcast the weekly Um, but really glad to be here Um, we couldn't decide if we wanted to talk about theology books culture history philosophy of philosophy of ministry Um, so instead we're doing all of the above Uh, and today I'm joined by my friend and fellow bibliophile Sarah Gilliam Um, so if you love good books and your house also has an infestation of small children then Sarah is your girl so Sarah welcome in
1: Hey, thanks for having me.
0: So um, as, as we get ready to talk today, we're actually going to be talking about The Wizard of Oz today. So Sarah, when I say Wizard of Oz, what's the first thing that comes to mind?
1: Um, well, I think for most people, the movie probably comes to mind. In fact, I was rereading this book since childhood um, in preparation for our discussion today, and Zach looked at me and said, you realize there's a movie of this? You could just watch that. So um, the book is so much richer, so much fuller, so for anyone who is hesitant to read the book rather than watch the movie, I would highly recommend it.
0: So spoiler alert, (laughs) if you aren't paying attention, The Wizard of Oz is a book.
1: And spoiler alert... You don't really get to invoke the privilege of spoiler alert since the book is 120 years old. That's true. If you haven't read it yet, we're going to ruin it for you. That's
0: true. So the first thing that comes to mind for me, I actually learned this when I was in a history class in college, was that The Wizard of Oz was written as a uh, really like a political pamphlet satire about the the election that was coming up and one of the hot button issues was whether they were going to monetize silver or not. And so a lot of the imagery is that's why the in the book the shoes are silver and they walk on the yellow brick road and so monetizing silver backed by gold was the path to the Emerald City to the green and it was going to bring the farmers and the industrialists to. Financial freedom. So the scarecrow and the Tin Man went with Dorothy with silver on gold all the way to to the green
1: That's extremely interesting and something I had no clue of.
0: Yeah, so I've been fascinated by that ever since Um, Now one of the reasons that we wanted to do a podcast that's called all of the above is that we believe that God created a good world And we want to explore every nook and cranny of God's good world. We want to think about and talk about all of the above. And we want to do that so that we can learn more about him. And today we're going to actually dip our toes back into the world of literature and talk about The Wizard of Oz. Um, But before we jump right into that discussion, let's just for a moment pause briefly and ask why talk about literature in general? What role does literature play in your thought life? How does it help you devotionally? Is there almost a discipline to be developed in reading literature, in reading fiction? Sarah, what would you say?
1: You want me to hit all three of those at once? So, for me personally, in my own thought life, I love the fact that um, in a good, ordered world, there's a formula to a good story, and so um, there's, there's a science to it. You can approach it um, with fact, but at the same time, even within that formula, God could have given us just that. He could have created a functional world that was just formulas and data and be done and it would still be good. But instead he chose us to give such a like chose to give such a, a wide array of of ways that we can um, manipulate and use that formula to create beautiful things. And so for me that literature has always been a really, a really clear picture of that. That there is such thing as a good and a bad story, but inside of that that um, category of good story, there's so much to 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 see and, and do.
0: Yeah, that's really good. I've I've been helped just kind of through through the years by, um, and this is this is found all through the writings of guys like Lewis. Um, but the fact that there are just themes and truths that run so deep into the order that God created that all literature, all thought, all philosophy is is kind of delving into the world God made and is tapping into those themes that that just mm-hmm. run through. Through our existence, through the way things are, and so literature is a is just a maybe a back door to get into some of the truths that got hardwired into the world and the way things are. So, yeah. So I um, we we love um, kind of reading literature. Um, it's something that that we think is really helpful and is can kind of expand our thought life, especially if it's fiction reading is not something that you do frequently like we would encourage you to give it a try read it and think think on it think critically on it and mm-hmm. um, think well about it so before we jump into kind of discussing the the themes and the ideas of The Wizard of Oz I want to just give a quick plot summary if you over the last hundred years have not uh, encountered the story yourself so basically beyond
1: the movie because the movie, Take some liberties.
0: Correct. It does. The movie tweaks some details here and there, even more than changing the silver shoes mm-hmm. to the ruby slippers. Um, but basically, the basic plot of the story, Dorothy's a little girl who lives on a farm with her aunt and uncle in Kansas. And one day, a cyclone comes through, picks up the little farmhouse with Dorothy and her dog, Toto, still inside. And the cyclone eventually puts the little farmhouse down in a strange, magical land called Oz. In order to get back home, Dorothy has to travel across the land of Oz to ask help from the great wizard. And along the way, she picks up um, several unlikely allies, makes friends with the scarecrow and the tin man and the cowardly lion, um, has to defeat the wicked witch of the West and eventually find her way back home. Now, that idea of home is something that, that, hap- that we see throughout the book. Even from the very opening lines, um, the author suggests to his readers uh, to even start thinking about and considering what is it that makes a home. So the book opens, Dorothy lived in the midst of the great Kansas prairies with Uncle Henry, who was a farmer, and Aunt Em, who was the farmer's wife. Their house was small. There were four walls, a floor, and a roof, which made one room. And this room contained chairs and the beds. Now, that's a pretty straightforward depiction of what a home is. That's it's a pretty got a bleak f- description. <laughs> <laughs> it is. It's got a floor and a roof and four walls, and there's beds and chairs in it. Um, so pragmatically straightforward, as practically, and no fluff as possible, this is a this is a home. But as the story goes on, the concept of home becomes more than that. It's more than four walls with chairs and a bed. Um, and we want to talk about, like what does the story reveal to us about our search for home? And how should we think about home as believers? As that concept of home continues to be developed through the story, um, one of the things that, like, I wrestle with reading through it is the fact that, in one sense, we are we are homeless. We have a longing for home that's that's not satisfied here. Uh, we see we look at Dorothy's home in Kansas, and everything is described as gray. The land is gray. The sky is gray. The, the grass is gray. Are gray. Yes, the house is gray. Even aunt, her aunt and uncle are like slowly becoming gray. Um, The first chapter says when Aunt Em came to live there, she was a young pretty wife. The sun and the wind had changed her too. They'd taken the sparkle from her eyes and left them a sober gray. And Uncle Henry never laughed. He worked hard from morning till night and did not know what joy was. He was gray also. Um, So that's really our picture of Dorothy's home in the beginning is that it's gray and there's not a, not a whole lot to grab onto. So you almost think when the house lands in Oz that Dorothy's finally gonna find a beautiful home, like a new place to live. Uh, it says that it le- takes her to a country of marvelous beauty, but she doesn't find home there either. She meets Glinda the Good, who clearly and confidently states, The North is my home, and this almost this clear statement of this is my home makes Dorothy start crying because she realizes she's lonely and she doesn't have one. Whether she's in Kansas or whether she's in Oz, she has a a longing for a real beautiful home. It it feels like home is just out of reach. Maybe there's an elusiveness to it. Um, Even the munchkins start talking about the silver slippers. And later in the book, we'll learn that these silver slippers have the power to take someone home. And when they're talking about them, they say, there's some charm connected with them, but what it is, we never knew. Um, and I think it's it, talking about the power to go home. There's some charm in home, but what it is, we just yeah. never quite knew. So what are some ways that, Sarah, that you feel that longing for home, um, but a home that feels slightly elusive?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um. So yeah, just to reiterate your point, like imagine coming from what Dorothy describes and landing in this strange and beautiful country. So like for the reader initially, you are tempted to think like she this is symbolizing heaven for us, like it's beautiful and it's strange and there's more and more to learn and see and that's new um but I mean, it put me in mind of First Peter, that we're strangers in a strange land. And, and so it actually endears you to Dorothy throughout the story that she recognizes that, that she's a stranger in this land. And so no matter how wonderful it is or how many things it offers to her, um, she actually like pretty much by the end is offered wealth, adoration, um, multiple opportunities to rule the people like the Winkies want her to stay around and rule them as their queen. She has the opportunity to rule alongside her friend, the Scarecrow, and Oz at the end, um, and still she's able to keep that single-mindedness. That no, like I'm a stranger in this land, and so why that's enticing. Um, there's still she says, there's no place like home, and so her her eyes are fixed on that, um, and, and it was uh, it was challenging to me because I know personally. I live in a world where there are so many enticing things, and it causes me to to take my eyes off of of the eternal home that i'm that I'm working towards.
0: yeah that's that's really good. Um, and that's one of the things that's that's tricky as kind as we think through that concept of home is that Dorothy has a longing to to go back to Kansas, yet at the same time we we kind of see that Kansas wasn't really isn't the ultimate home either. Um, and so, whereas in the book, like Dorothy eventually goes back home, goes back to the farm and and finds um, that that's the place that she, she longs to be. Um, things are complicated for us a little bit further when we think about um, home is, is something that's yet to come. When mm-hmm. we think about home as something that Jesus is bringing when, when heaven and earth are brought back together and all things are being made new. So like you said, we are, we are almost on this pilgrim journey like jo- Dorothy, where we are strangers in a strange land. Mm-hmm. Um, but at the same time, it also feels like even now, home and belonging are something very integral to the Christian story Our present in Christ is infused with purpose. So we exist where we are and when we are for a reason. We're not supposed to live anywhere else other than right now, right here. This is where we're supposed to be. So we want to be a people who put down roots. Even as we look ahead to eternity and even as we keep the kingdom in mind, we want to be a people who put down roots right here and right now and make this our, our home, even if we don't grow overly attached to it. And I think Dorothy actually says this really well. This is probably my favorite line from the whole book. The scarecrow says, basically says, Kansas sounds pretty lame. Um, why, don't, why don't you just stay here? And he Dorothy, uses
1: lame yeah, in 1900. Yeah. That's yes, what.
0: he does. So I'm paraphrasing the scarecrow. Um, but he doesn't have any brains, so he doesn't know <laughs> how to say it as well um and dorothy responds to him she says no matter how dreary and gray our homes are we people of flesh and blood would rather live there than in any other country be it ever so beautiful there is no place like home and of course that's the line that that stands out to anyone who's seen or read the wizard of oz there's no place like home but i really love that idea that we people of flesh and blood would rather live there in our home than any other country so, kind of thinking that as a thinking along that as a believer, what does Jesus intend for we people of flesh and blood?
1: Yeah. Um, so this put me in mind of Hebrews eleven, which I guess in the Baptist world we traditionally know as the Hall of Faith. Um, and there's just like a little excerpt there where uh, the writer of Hebrews is talking about Abel, Noah, all of these all of these uh, figures of faith, and talks about how they looked forward to a city that had foundations whose designer and builder was God. And they were people who were seeking a homeland. And so in talking about their faithfulness here on earth, they were talking about the reason, the thing that gave the, that um, that faithfulness, power, and dignity was the fact that they were not living for this world. They were living in this world faithfully, looking to the next world and looking to um, the world where you know, it's, it's interesting. I grew up thinking of heaven as this, like, otherworldly, like, we'll ascend to this place and it'll be celestial and, you know, like, it it seems like nothing we've ever seen, but the scriptures very clearly describe a new heavens and a new earth where all of these sad things become untrue. And so it seems like the people in Hebrews 11 and the faithful people that we've known throughout our lives can live here on earth faithfully, knowing that one day, like, the the garden that they toiled over that constantly sprouted weeds will no longer have weeds and it'll just be fruitful and lush Um, so there's a real sense in which we can live in our homes now and see their goodness reflected in God's goodness and we can see where the ways that they're broken are going to be redeemed and made new Um, and I think Again, going back to just the uh, endearment of Dorothy throughout this story, it was like she could see what her home could be, um, even though to us it sounds pretty bleak and gray.
0: Yeah, I think that's really good. It's so tempting to think of the home that's coming in the future as something completely other, rather than thinking about the home that we ultimately find in Christ's kingdom as our home now being restored, being Mm -hmm. made new and made whole again. Um, I was even thinking about some like language that the psalmist uses in Psalm 68 and in Psalm 113. In both of those, he talks about God's gracious kindness in terms of God giving a home, providing a home. Um, he's the father to the fatherless, the protector of widows. Uh, It says he settles the solitary in a home. He -hmm. gives the barren woman a home and makes her the joyous mother of children. Mm -hmm. The psalmist makes it clear that God is the giver of homes. He's the kind giver of homes to people who are homeless.
1: Yeah, and it's like... It's so intrinsic, I think, for writers to kind of have this concept throughout their stories because it is this kind of unnamed longing that we all have. And I wanted to mention a couple other stories um, that I feel like really drive this point home, no pun intended. Um, One is, it's a children's novel by Kate DiCamillo. It's called The Miraculous Journey of Edward Tulane. Are you familiar? I'm not. Okay. So she's best known for, like, Tale of Despero and because of Winn-Dixie because they've made films out of those. But... Everyone should read this book. Um, Whether or not you have children, you should read this book. It is um, just this wonderful little story about a stuffed... It's told from the perspective of a stuffed rabbit who communicates in no way whatsoever with any human. It is entirely told through his thoughts. Um, But basically, through a series of events, he ends up being ripped away from the home he didn't really appreciate and kind of like scoffed at. Um, And he goes on this long journey and... Um, begins to more fully appreciate home and what it means to him and he just changes and grows as a as a person but as a stuffed bunny (laughs) but it is it is so delightful and I just I kept thinking about this when I was thinking about the concept of home Um, and the other story I wanted to mention is uh, a short story by Tolkien called Leaf by Niggle. Have you ever read Leaf by Niggle? I
0: have. It's been a little while, but it's fantastic.
1: It is so delightful, Um, and it's just kind of a similar concept. He um, is sort of trying to create this worldly home for himself with his own comforts, his um, his own longings, his own desires. He keeps kind of being interrupted by the things of this world and meanwhile he's supposed to be preparing for this journey that is supposed i guess it's supposed to symbolize death or something Um, and i don't want to spoil it uh but what greets him on the other side of that journey to me is like is home is the very definition of of home so Everyone go out and get the miraculous journey of Edward Tulane and Leaf by Niggle.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I um, this is honestly this is one of my favorite themes in all of literature. So I think I have confessed it on the podcast before. But two of my favorite books, stories of all time, are Anne of Green Gables and Little Women. And I come as close to weeping as I ever get reading those stories. Mm-hmm. And and the idea of both of them is whether it's Ann or whether it's Joe, kind of this, this dreamer who longs to go mm-hmm. out into the world, make a difference, be significant. Essentially, mm-hmm. like find significance, make a make a mark in the world. Um, and for both of them, that journey kind of brings them back home and they yeah. realize the things of substance, the, thing that, the things that mattered, the things that, that they most deeply desire were right there all along yes. at home.
1: In, um, in their hometown. This this is totally... Well, it's not totally off-topic, but I don't know if you guys have seen um, Eurovision.
0: I, I saw. I haven't watched it yet. I saw the previews for it the other day.
1: So I can't recommend Eurovision because I haven't seen all of it. Our Netflix account went away before we finished it. Tragic. But, okay. At the end of it, they sing this song together called My Hometown, and like everyone should talk to Zach about it because he found himself just almost weeping because he was like, this makes me think of and long for heaven. So it's a silly, ridiculous movie. It's Will Ferrell um, at the height of his ridiculousness singing about his hometown.
0: Which I think came out before Will Ferrell's Super Bowl commercial where he was taking shots at Norway. Serious.
1: I, I wondered if there was a connection there. I wonder if he didn't have a good experience filming and yeah, maybe <laughs> in
0: Sweden. Maybe Eurovision gave him bad taste in his mouth <laughs> and he decided to take it to Norway. Well, there's one other idea from The Wizard of Oz that I wanted to talk around today um, in addition to the, the theme of home. And this is, this is a, a really interesting one that, that kind of jumped out at me the last time I was reading through this story. And we find out as the story goes on, as Dorothy and her friends are making their way to the Emerald City, that the scarecrow and the Tin Man and the Lion want to go with Dorothy to the wizard to ask for a brain, a heart and courage. And, and as they're going, they're all talking along the way about how much trouble they're having um, by not possessing these things. So one part of the Scarecrow and the, and the Tin Man get into kind of an argument over whether it's better to have brains and no heart, or a heart and no brains, and their, their mutual experiences with each. But the real irony is that the, as they talk about lacking these things, we clearly see that they're using them at the same time. So, as they journey, uh, at one point um, we read, The Tin Woodman knew very well he had no heart, and therefore he took great care never to be cruel or unkind to anything, which is essentially having a heart Mm -hmm. Um, shortly after this they find themselves in a dilemma and no one knows what to do and the book tells us that after serious thought the scarecrow came up with a plan and after he comes up with a plan the lion looks at him and says that is a first-rate idea (laughs) one would almost suspect that you had brains in your head um, and then, and then before they can, before the scarecrow's plan can be fully executed, they're threatened by these hostile creatures who are who are coming closer and closer from behind them. And it says that the lion, although he was certainly afraid, turned to face them and said, "We are lost, for they will surely tear us to pieces with their sharp claws. But stand close behind me, and I will fight them as long as I am alive." Which That just gives me goosebumps. Tremendous bravery. Yeah. Like that is, that's courage right there. Uh, stand behind me and I'll fight them as long as I'm alive. Mm -hmm. So we find out that, that each of these possessed those things they were looking for all along. Now maybe it's unhelpful to just kind of say, these things are there inside us all along. We have, you know, minds and hearts and courage and, um, we just need to discover them within ourselves. It's, it feels like minds and hearts and courage are the kind of things that need to be developed. They require discipline to, to grow our mind and our heart and our, our courage. So the answer is not simply discover them within. But there also seems to be something really helpful here as well. Um, they're waiting to get these things, but really those things only come by using them. And so it made me ask, like how often do we wait to get something that we really just need to do. Uh, Brains, hearts, courage, they're not really things that you get. So what are some ways that we are maybe slow to obedience, even stunting our spiritual growth because we're waiting on something that we've already been given?
1: Mm -hmm. Yeah, so um, it was just truly delightful to watch each of them develop in these things throughout the story. Um, and then when they finally arrive before Oz and ask for these things you know they at this point they've discovered Oz is merely a man and he can't actually give them to them um Oz is able to identify each of these things within them and they still are like no that's I don't I don't have brains so there's no way that I can have knowledge I I don't have any brains so he kind of tricks them by implanting pseudo brains and a heart and courage into uh into each of the characters um It made me think of uh, James 1. Um, So, in verse 5, it tells us if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Um, It reminds us that we need to ask in faith, knowing that God is the one that grants those things to us. Um, But if you go up above that, it kind of talks about counting it joy when we encounter trials because they strengthen that faith. Um, And then we have to employ that faith when we ask God for wisdom. Um, and then those trials also, as our faith grows, they produce steadfastness. And steadfastness seems to contribute to us lacking in nothing. Um, so it's interesting in, in telling us in James that steadfastness is going to contribute to our lacking in nothing. And then in the next verse, it tells us, if you lack wisdom, ask for it. Um, and so I think while I, com- I 100% believe that God is the one that grows us in these disciplines, um, and He gives us, I think, first a desire to grow in those disciplines um, that sort of empowers me to, to act in faith. Um, and so I think even, <clears throat> even in the sense that, uh, each of those characters in seeking those things was displaying that. So like the scarecrow in wanting knowledge was displaying a kind of wisdom. Um, and in the tin man, like the part that where I wept is, is when he's, he's kind of playing implanting the pseudo heart in the tin man. And he says. Um, like, see to it that it's a tender heart. Like, he desires a tender heart, um, which I think for the believer, that's kind of the first step in having a tender heart. Like, we have to recognize that we need that. Um, And I feel like I've had many conversations with other believers where they're saying, I'm a mess. I can't get this right. I can't, I can't conquer this sin. Um, And it's important that we remind one another, like, the desire first to conquer this sin and the desire to um, to hate our sin and to grow in knowledge and wisdom and love and all of these things is a gift from God and something that that we do hone.
0: Yeah, I think that's great. I the, and each of those points in the story where those characters exhibit that thing that they're looking for are just some of my favorite parts of the whole book. Um, like when Dorothy shares about you know Kansas being her home no matter how gray it is, the Tin Man says well that doesn't really make sense to me because I don't have brains Um, but I guess it's really fortunate for Kansas that you feel that way like that's good for Kansas that you feel that (laughs) way and I'm like oh man that's really thoughtful Mm -hmm. it's like oh wait that came from the scarecrow who has no brains yeah Um, similar to the tin man like walking along so carefully to make sure he doesn't step on an ant because he can't bear the thought of of crushing an ant or the lion volunteering like he's like we got to jump across that chasm and you guys probably can't do it and I'm not sure if I can either but I'll do it and yeah. if I fall to my death then you guys then will you guys escape. all know that you can't do it yeah then you guys will all live um, and those are like just reminders to me of of a lot of what the the Christian journey looks like of Stepping out in obedience, stepping out in faith, practicing the things that God's given us, even yeah. if we haven't become experts yet, because mm-hmm. honestly, we, we never do. Um, but the charge to us is still the charge of Romans 2 and, and James 1, to be, to, to be doers of the law, not just hearers, to yeah. be doers of the word, not just hearers of the word. Um, we're being conformed to the image of the son. God is making us more like Jesus. Mm-hmm. And, he, and he does that through our obedience. Obedience shapes the heart. Yeah. Um, so like my encouragement would be, you know, think hard, be transformed by the renewing of your mind and your brains will grow. Be kind as far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all, and your heart will expand. Mm-hmm. And then don't don't fear. Be strong and of good courage. And your your courage and your faith and your boldness will, will deepen. Um, if you want to, to own Bible reading, read your Bible and your, your capacity for reading your Bible will grow. If you want to be a, a person of prayer, then pray and your desire and the depth of your prayers will grow so well sarah thanks so much for joining us any any last thoughts
1: no i think i think you uh you took it all out of me so thanks for having
0: me all right perfect well make sure you guys tune in again soon for the next all of the above podcast and for today there's no place like home